Good morning, church. And uh, thank you for your warm welcome, Nick. Thank you for your gracious introduction. Text today is going to be 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 6. Um, so I hear, "'Tis the season for Christmas carols." Let's talk about Christmas carols for a minute. You know, the new Christmas carols, they, the Christmas songs, they're, you know, they're kind of more like about the idea of Christmas, kind of the feeling of Christmas. You know, it's all chestnuts roasting on an open fire and silver bells and mistletoe and grandma getting run over by a reindeer. Um, I, like, I like the old Christmas carols. You see, because they don't take Christ out of it. I mean, you don't have Christmas without Christ. He's in the name. And what I love about the old, the old carols is that they, they don't just focus your attention on the Christ child in the manger. They always move along to proclaim the Gospel to us. Here's a couple of examples. You know this one. Uh, from Hark the Herald Angels Sing. Mild He lays His glory by, born that man no more may die. Born to raise the sons of earth. Born to give them second birth. Right? So, the Gospel is proclaimed. Christ has come so that we may be born anew, and so ultimately we may be what? Raised from the dead, that man no more may die. How's about this one? He comes to make His blessings flow far as the curse is found. He comes to make all things new. The old Christmas carols make sure that we know the Gospel, the essential Gospel, that Mary's child in that manger is the Son of God who was promised, the One who would crush the serpent's head, the One who's come to reconcile a holy God and sinful man by the blood of His Christ, the One who is born to raise us up from death and to make all things new. In our text today, 1 Corinthians 15, 1-6, Paul is reminding us of the essential gospel. You know, during this past uh, 18, 20 months with the COVID pandemic, suddenly these new categories of businesses were given to us, right? There were non-essential and essential, and we wondered sometimes and scratched our heads how some things were considered essential. Right. When I say it's the essential gospel, I mean, Paul is saying this is what you must believe to be a Christian. Here's, and here's the beautiful part about it. See, because we, we didn't know what things were going to be declared essential or not from one week to the next, right? But here's the thing. 
the essential gospel means there is nothing new that God is going to spring on us. This is what you must believe is essential. Here's something about this passage, and I talked about this in class a bit this morning. The early Christians, they, they had their own hymns, they had their own carols to Christ. And every once in a while, the Apostle Paul would quote one of them in his letters. And that's what we're going to, to see today in verses 3 through 5 of our text. But I want us to hear the whole thing to get a flavor of what he's saying. 1 Corinthians 15 as a chapter is, is Paul's defense of a bodily resurrection. Both Christ's bodily resurrection and our own as believers. Without the resurrection, Paul's going to say there, there is no gospel. So let's, uh, let's dive into this wonderful, meaty text. Paul says, now I would remind you, brothers, and anytime he says brothers, that includes sisters, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I have preached to you unless you believed in vain. So this passage is about what? The gospel. I'm going to remind you of the gospel. Here's, here's a point I'll make. The gospel is for Christians too. How often do we think of the gospel as this thing you preach to somebody and they believe so that they can kind of get in. And then the real work begins. This is not Paul's conception at all. Why, he tells the Romans, I was eager to come and preach the gospel to you too. Now that's to the church at Rome. So he wants to preach the gospel to who? Christians. The Corinthians are Christians. And he says, I'm going to remind you of the Gospel. He tells Titus to do the work of an evangelist, and that doesn't just mean go out and do street preaching. Christians need the Gospel too. We all need to hear it every week. We need to hear Christ every day calling us, come to Me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. We need to be reminded daily that we have peace with God in Christ. Remind you of the Gospel that I preached to you. Good news of Jesus Christ. Romans 1, 16-17 what says that it is the power of God unto salvation for all who believe. He says in that passage, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, which also means what? Any race, 
tribe, tongue, nation, male, female, rich, poor, don't matter. Whosoever believeth. Preaching the gospel, the saving power of God to believe. Those who believe. He says what? Unless you have believed in vain. Jesus warns us and His apostles warn us that there are such things as false conversions. False converts. Jesus talks about people as soils and some are rocky and some are thorny so the faith never... They might have mental assent to some facts but the faith never takes root in their lives. And so what happens? They fall away. It's false conversion. They believed in vain. 1 John 2.19 says, They went out from us, but they did not belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. Unless your belief was in vain, unless you're one of those false converts, Paul says what? You must believe this Gospel. You will believe this Gospel. And it will what? Save you. Verses 3-5 to is where this, we're going to hear this old carol or hymn Paul says at the beginning of verse 3, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. Whenever you see Paul say something like that, I, I'm about to deliver to you what I received. What he's doing is he's quoting a tradition, right? a preformed tradition, something that was already floating around in, in pre, uh, preaching and teaching. And a lot of times it's also what? in hymns, in carols, in songs that the early Christians would sing, they would what? They would sing the Gospel. They would sing the Gospel story. And you can see, if you look at how it balances out, how it measures out, that this is a poem or a song, because it, it does, it balances, measures out. It's right that... Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures and was buried. And then He rose again on the third day according to the Scriptures and He appeared to Cephas and then the Twelve. You see, that, that according to the Scriptures, that's like a repeated refrain. These are lines of poetry. And then it's set up so that He died he died and was what? And was buried. Why do you mention that? Because that proves he's really dead. And he rose and what? He was seen by witnesses. That proves that he rose. And that is what he calls the essential gospel. That which you must believe to be saved. He says, I delivered to you as of 
first importance. What did he deliver as a first importance? Was it was it a system of morals and ethics that he delivered as first importance? Now, obviously, morality is important to Christians, right? The Bible has a morality. But your morality will not save you. If I stand before God on Judgment Day with nothing but my own morality to offer, what's He going to say? Depart from me. <laughs> Worker of iniquity, I never knew you. Your righteous deeds are as filthy rags. Did he say, I passed along to you as if first importance a pattern for worship in church government? That was too on the nose, wasn't it? How about this? I passed on to you as a first importance timeless truths from Jesus. No, no, no. See, all, all of those things right there, they're sandcastles. They will not hold up. They will not save you. All says, passed on as first importance, the Gospel of Jesus Christ, true God and true man, who suffered and who died on a real Roman cross with real splinters under Pontius Pilate, who was a real governor of Judea. There were real nails piercing actual Jewish flesh and drawing actual Jewish blood. Christ really died and was buried in an actual grave belonging to a real man named Joseph of Arimathea, and then he really rose bodily on the third day. According to the Scriptures, he says, that means what? All of this was promised beforehand by God. We are saved by actual, real, true events, objective facts that happened outside of ourselves and anything we have done. Christ died for our sins, Paul says, what? According to the Scriptures. Isaiah 53, 5 says, He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon Him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with His wounds we are healed. He died for our sins. Or they imaginary sins? No, they were real sins. And so what? He died an actual death. Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death. And how many of us are sinners? Romans 3.23, right? All have sinned. And you did not get the good genes that you don't sin. Christ died the death that our sins had earned. He took our sins and our guilt to the cross 
They were nailed with him there. They were defeated there. When he was buried in Joseph's tomb, he took them to the grave with him. And when he was resurrected on Sunday morning and he walked out of that grave, your sins stayed there, stayed buried. Our sins were laid on Him and His perfect righteousness by faith, through faith, is laid on us. Colossians 3.3 says, Your life is hidden in Christ. Hidden under His perfect righteousness. Then it says he was buried, which like I said, proves that he was really dead. But here's something else. When we see that Christ is buried, and we know the end of the story, right? He was raised. It robs the grave of its terror. Its hopelessness. Its finality. You see, the, the grave of Christ, the burial of Christ, has sanctified, has made holy the grave of of every believer. It's transformed them from a place of terror to our resting places until we are raised again to eternal resurrection life. Many of us have stood by the grave as someone we love was lowered into it. Because Christ was buried and rose again. We don't have to grieve as those who have no hope. He was raised on the third day. You know, there were people in Corinth who were denying the reality of the bodily resurrection of Christ and of believers. There are many today who deny that reality. There are some who... Have you guys ever heard of something called the swoon theory? That Jesus didn't really die, He just passed out. You know... And after three days, he kind of recovered enough that he could sort of amble out of the grave. Well, Roman executioners knew how to do their job. When that spear went into his side, it would have pierced his lungs and his hearts. Even if Christ had somehow magically, mysteriously, miraculously survived, he would not have been in any kind of shape to roll away a stone and fight off the guards. And even if by chance that happened, his disciples would surely have known the difference between a man who was barely alive and someone who was resurrected. Other people say, well, it was a group hallucination. Verse 6 says, nah uh What does verse 6 say? Verse 6 says that after the Cephas and the other apostles saw him, 
Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom were still alive, though some have fallen asleep. 500 people would be a pretty big group hallucination. And Paul says what? Most of them are still alive, which means what? I can give you a list of names. You can go and talk to them. Other people say, well, you know, the disciples realized that, that even though Jesus had been killed, He still lived inside their hearts. He was raised in their hearts. And they're going to boldly go out and just sort of live for His vision. But then you understand what they went through. How they gave up their lives. How they were tortured and beaten and chased out of every town. Other people said, well, you know, maybe it was a spiritual resurrection. Well, that's the point of Luke 24. The end of Luke 24, Luke 24, 39, the risen Jesus appears among His apostles and He says, See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones, as you see that I have. What does it mean that He has flesh and bones and He wants you to touch Him? That He has had a physical, bodily resurrection. And of course, my favorite part, he's like, hey guys, give me some barbecued fish. Without the resurrection, you, you don't have a gospel. That's Paul's point in the verses 13 through 19. If you go down later in the chapter, Paul says, but if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that He raised Christ whom He did not raise. If it is true that the dead are not raised, for if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still dead in your sins. Then also we, are also those who have fallen asleep in Christ, have perished. If in Christ we have hope for this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. If Christ is not raised, Paul says what? You are still in your sins. Romans 4.25 says that Christ was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. In other words, raised so that we could be right with God. See, if Christ stayed dead, it would prove that He was just another sinner. His death atoned for nothing. It was meaningless. Paul says, if there is no resurrection of the dead and Christ is not raised, then those who have died believing in Christ, what? Have perished. And in fact, the grave is victorious and we must still live in dread of the awful sting of death. And he says, we are pitiful. We are of all men most to be pitied because we have lived our lives on the basis of a false hope. And what could be more pitiful than that? Resurrection is essential to the Gospel. It's, it's what makes Good Friday actually good. Because Christ has been raised bodily Here's where I'm really going to stay, start laying the gospel on you, brothers and sisters. If Christ has been raised bodily, 
we have confidence and we have assurance of our salvation. If Christ is risen and reigning, Hebrews 7.25 says that He is able to save completely those who come to God through Him. Now that word completely is interesting. Some Bibles translate it as uttermost, others as forever, because it refers to both the quality and the quantity of the salvation. He is able to save forever those who come to God through Him. Why? Because He lives forever to intercede. Well, when you say that Christ is interceding, what is He doing? Think about it like this. The night that Jesus was betrayed, He knew His, his disciples, Apostle Peter, was going to do what? Deny Him three times. And He told Peter, you're going to do this. And Peter didn't believe Him. Oh no, Lord, not me. But Jesus says, no, you will. But Peter, I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail and when you return, not if, when you return, strengthen your brothers. That prayer that Christ prayed for Peter, that is the prayer that the risen Christ is standing before His Father and our Father praying that you, 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 me, that we will not lose our faith. And even the worst days of our lives on this earth can be turned to what? Strengthen our brothers. Comfort one another with the comfort that we have been comforted with because Jesus is alive. We are at peace with God. All of our sins and failures, past, present, and future, have been atoned. Were there any sins that, if you believe in Christ, were there any sins that He hasn't atoned for? No. It says what? He suffered once for all. Our imperfect lives are hidden in His sinless perfection. By faith, we have put on Christ and the seamless garment of His perfect righteousness covers all of our imperfections. Since Jesus Christ is alive, He has been physically, bodily resurrected according to the Scriptures, we don't have to work to try and impress God. God has accepted Christ's sacrifice on our behalf. His resurrection proves that. Did y'all know that we are saved by works? Just not ours. His. It is finished, not tag your it. In Christ, all of our imperfect works, our imperfect obedience, our imperfect worship, the imperfect good that we do for our neighbors, it's all holy to God because it's done in Christ and He's holy. Because Christ has been raised, bodily raised, Death does not get the final word over you and me. The old Christmas carols, like I said, they would point you to this helpless child in the manger wrapped in swaddling clothes, but they would also direct you to the Gospel. See, that helpless child in the manger wrapped in swaddling clothes is what we call foreshadowing because that child would then be what? Dead in a tomb wrapped in Grave clothes. 
But then what? He walked his way out of that tomb, out of that grave. He conquered the grave for all who believe. The gates of Hades will not prevail against us. Death will not be able to hold on to us because Christ already broke down the gate for us. Because Christ has been raised, all who believe in Him have resurrection hope. And that is real bodily resurrection. Philippians 3.21 says that He will transform these humiliated fallen bodies of ours that age and get sick and hurt and die to be like His glorified body. 1 John 3.2 says we will be like Him. Resurrection means... Well, now... The resurrected Jesus, He, he ate that fish, didn't He? And uh, remember in John's Gospel, Mary Magdalene comes and gives Him that big, big hug? You see, resurrection means hugs and singing together. And uh, conversation and feasting. So church, this, this Christmas, sing your carols with all the joyful assurance of saints who have perfect peace with God and resurrection hope. Because the resurrected life may just have many more seasons of roasting chestnuts and silver bells and family feasts than you ever dared to imagine. Without any empty chairs at the family table. With no tearful memories about who's missing. With no goodbyes. But with God the Father with Christ the Son who is our resurrection and our life, and in the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, world without end. That is the essential Gospel. So remember it. Be reminded of it as Paul reminded the Corinthians. Live by it. And remember that because of Christ, you are at peace with God and you do indeed have resurrection hope.